Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, we are hitting the road and heading to Birmingham for an exciting conversation with Valerie Fazeletti. Valerie is a talented, award-winning author known for her heartfelt and genuine Southern writing. Her highly anticipated book, Letters from My Sister, is coming soon. So welcome, Valerie, to The Relatable Voice. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to climb aboard the RV and travel with you. I'm so glad to be back to Alabama. (laughs) So, Valerie, your childhood in rural Chauby County, Alabama, sounds like a wonderful adventure. So can you share some of your favorite memories from that time? Oh, sure. Um, It's a very small community. Uh, My mother's brothers were cotton farmers. And um, when I was very young, we lived in my grandmother's house where my mother had grown up. Um, And then later, my parents built a house and across the highway and my grandmother moved in with us. So she was always with us. But um, lots of cotton fields around, lots of woods and creeks and um, places to get into stuff outside, you know, both of my parents love being outdoors. So um, we were just outside a lot. And um, my mother and two of my aunts raised a huge vegetable garden that had to be plowed with a tractor every summer. And so all of us kids, you know, helped with that. And um, because we lived with my grandmother and her nickname was the Colonel because she was very bossy. And um, so when she wanted all of her family to come home, they did. And so our house was really the gathering place for my mother's family. And she had uh, seven brothers and sisters, uh, six of whom lived through childhood. She lost one brother to diphtheria when he was three. And um, but they all came home, tons of first cousins and um, aunts and uncles and just lots of storytelling, actually. I think that's where it all got started just because, you know, we're talking about the 1960s and early 70s and nobody had internet or cable TV or anything like that. So we talked to entertain ourselves, you know, and I loved hearing those stories about the farm and back in the day and, and all of that. So I think that's kind of where I got hooked on storytelling. Wow, living on a farm in rural city appears to offer an incredible environment for raising children. And there are so many things to do. You know, like you just you just go outside and play with the animals. Oh, yeah. And climbing trees. We would um my our next door neighbor uh, raised plum trees and, and we thought we were sneaking plums. Of course he knew we were out there, he didn't care. He went to the same church as us. A lot of us went to church together, went to school together. And it was just a really um, one of those neighborhoods where people have lived there for years and years. And the kids were all in and out of everybody's houses. You know, the neighbors looked out for each other's kids and just a very safe place to grow up. 
a little harder as a teenager because there wasn't a whole lot to do, <laughs> you know, but um, most of our activities centered around the school and the church, you know, um, but it, it was great. It was great to grow up, you know, having the run of the woods and, and my dad would take us down to, you know, wave the creeks and things and um, just growing up outside a lot like that. And, with family, with a lot of family. And um, it's just kind of like a big safety net for children. Yeah. And Valerie, have you had any memorable encounters with hurricanes or tornadoes? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have, I, even though we, we live in Birmingham, we don't live on the coast. We get coastal weather up here, but I have actually run from two hurricanes. So my first hurricane to run from was Opal, and um, I had taken my parents to the beach, and um, they were really concerned that the hurricane was coming in, even though it wasn't supposed to land where we were. We were on Amelia Island, uh, but they wanted to leave the next morning. So by leaving, we actually got in the path of it. <laughs> so we were running from those torrential rains the whole way uh, home. And then um, when I worked for Southern Living, my husband and I were in uh, South Louisiana working on a story for the magazine and um, Hurricane Gustav was coming in. And so we had to, again, you know, take to the highway to get away from the storm. But um, and then, of course, tornadoes happen in Alabama. Uh, one went through our neighborhood in 2011. Um, and then my mother was very afraid of storms when I was growing up. And so uh, my uncle had a, a storm shelter and we we spent more time below ground than above <laughs> think, during tornado season when I was little. But something I noticed about um, coastal communities is when a hurricane is coming in, um, you know, they don't say, watch the weather or be careful. They said, good luck, you know, and that really struck me. You know, it's like, well, good luck. Who knows? You know, um, and that's very different from Birmingham, where we'll tell each other, you know, the radar's looking bad. Everybody watch the weather. Keep an eye on the weather reports. But down there, it's just good luck, you know, and I heard that a lot in Louisiana. I'm cautious about weather now that I'm older. When I was younger, I just loved storms. I think it's because they were the most exciting thing that ever happened, you know, but um, I, I just am really moved by dramatic weather, and I, I put a lot of it in my stories just because um, it's so much a part of, of where I live and, you know, and uh, just part of the deep south. I lived in Florida, and the last hurricane, I think when I was there was Irma, and we had to run mm -hmm. away. We ended up going to Alabama. Thankfully, to done. Yeah. Uh, and what part of Florida? What part of Florida do you live in? Orlando. Oh, okay. I'm sure you explore these subjects in your books, for sure. I do. I do. Uh, there's a, a, a character, the main character in Letters from My Sister, which is coming out in August. Um, who um, loves storms, but at one point in the story, she talks about whether she still needs them anymore, you know, when her life makes a change. And so there's a, you, you find out that there's more to it for her than just enjoying the drama of the weather. Um, so yeah, I put that in. There's a tornado in Missing for Isaac, which was my first book. 
um, there's mention of Hurricane in Under the Bayou Moon, which is the last one to come out. So there's always going to be some storms and weather. And it, even if they're not happening in real time, that you can see the effect of the weather on the place and the setting of the book. So it's just something that intrigues me personally. And I always end up putting something like that in most of my books. Yeah, there are so many stories that <laughs> write about hurricanes. And Valerie, I asked you before we started the episode, if you had siblings and you told that you don't. So your upcoming book is entitled Letters from My Sister. So what is the inspiration behind this book? It's very much inspired by my family. My grandmother and her sister were like the, like the main characters. They were the only surviving daughters in a house full of brothers. And her father was kind of a, a well-to-do cotton farmer, um, well-to-do for that small town. You know, I'm not talking about super rich or anything, but he was prosperous. And, um, and my grandmother and her sister were very close and they were also close to a black woman named um, Bama McCoy, who basically ran the family, ran the house, you know, for her parents. And, um, when I would hear my grandmother talk about Bama, it was interesting to me because I always say my grandmother could be a harsh judge of humanity. You know, she didn't, she wasn't impressed by many people and it was very hard to win her respect, but she revered Bama who actually delivered most of her children. She only had, her oldest son was born in a hospital and all the other children were born at home. A lot of times with, with you know, Bama handling things and um and she just revered her all of her life and um I never knew her sister she died before I came along but um my my grandmother lived to be very old and my mother asked her um you know a couple of years before she died if she had any regrets and she said well I wish I'd been more like Effie and that was her sister and that shocked me just the idea that my grandmother would want to be like anybody because she was always so self-possessed you know and so much her own person and really didn't care at all what anybody thought and so it it really was a surprise to me and then um at some point after she I think it was after she passed we found um, in a, a cabinet in her bedroom, she had saved some postcards that were between her and her sister um, and between my grandfather and her sister, who apparently were great friends when my grandparents were courting. And there was almost a playfulness to my grandmother's writing to her sister that was very hard for me to see because she was always so serious, you know, um, and to know that when she was younger, she had this fun relationship with her only sister um, it just put a new light on her and so I just took that relationship and sort of ran with it so the story is fictional but um, I really wanted to celebrate sisterhood in it and I guess in part because I don't have any you know my friends are the closest thing and my cousins I have some girl cousins that I'm really close to and they're the closest thing I have to sisters. So just exploring that bond was something that I, I kind of wanted to do. It was a surprise for you to, to see these letters. Yeah. She, um, I mean, they were talking about, uh, you know, dresses and shoes and uh, a pretty blue dress that one of them had gotten. And I guess my, uh, my grandmother had just had a difficult 
life. You know, she had all those children and her husband, my grandfather was killed in an accident when he was 47, I think. So she still had four or five children at home when that happened. And uh, my uncles had to take over running the cotton farm when they were teenagers, you know, so they went from having this really stable family life. My, my grandfather worked for the county, so he had a steady job during the Depression. And then when that was gone, you know, things were suddenly very un, uncertain. And, uh, and she went through a lot. You know, she had some great losses, including, you know, her, her husband and, you know, both of her parents. And she lost a child of diphtheria. And, you know, she all that was when she was fairly young. So life had not been easy for her. And it showed by the time I came along, you know. And we were we were very close, but she was very, you know, something terrible was about to happen. If something good happened, well, you know, something bad was surely going to happen. You know, she was just very much kind of had a dark world view, I guess you would say. Um, so to see this sort of playful and happy side of her with her sister was just kind of a revelation to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And can you share with our listeners a little bit about this book? Oh, sure. I was supposed to tell you that you can get it at bakerpublishinggroup.com or wherever books are sold. That was on my to-do list for my publisher. So I have uh, relayed that. Um, But um, no, the book is, it's part love story. It's part mystery. Um, The two main characters in the book are sisters named Callie and Emmy Bullock. And Callie is the youngest. She is kind of a seeker. She feels the constraints that are placed on women in the early 20th century South. The book takes place around 1909 and 1910. So um, she very much respects her parents. Both girls do. But while Emmy is just eager to marry the man she loves and take care of him, Callie is a little bit more at sea. She, She doesn't quite know where she fits into the world, even though she has this really close-knit family. So um, eventually she does meet someone who gets her attention, but the, the book hinges on something that Callie sees one night. She sees her sister do something that her sister would never do. And then she has a memory loss and she's trying to figure out what she saw and what she remembers. And her sister doesn't realize that Callie saw this thing happen. So the whole thing is she's seen someone she loves do something she knows in her heart that person would never do. And she cannot figure out what to make of that memory and that vision and this thing that she's seen. And it turns out to be connected with some other things going on in their community and with this Black family that they are very much attached to. So it's kind of about trust. You know, how much can you trust somebody when, you know, your eyes and your mind, what you've seen and what you know them to be are not the same. Um, so she's wrestling with that. And so it's it's a little bit of, of her finding herself as a young woman, figuring out what she wants, reconciling this terrible thing that she's seen and kind of resolving everything with her sister, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably an entangled elevator pitch for the book, but um, it's, it's, I would say it's part love story, part family saga and part 
mystery um, that I, I really hope people enjoy. But I think what they'll enjoy the most is just the characters and their relationship to each other. So, uh, sorry, Kelly, Kelly, mm-hmm. Kelly, and Emmy. Sorry. Amy. Yeah. It's short for Emmeline and Kalinda, but um, some people call Emmy Emmeline, but nobody ever calls Callie anything but Callie. That's just who she she is. And I just love that about her, that she's a little bit adventurous. She wants to explore and question more. The woman who runs their house in the book is named Hepsi, short for Hepzibah Jordan. And Hepzibah's mother, whose name is Terza, is uh, a seer. She can see things uh, that have happened and know what to make of them or know what's going to happen. She's a midwife and she's a healer. And she's very close to Callie and Emmy's mother because she has saved the children. She has safely delivered the children into the Bullock family. And so that creates this bond between the black and white families involved. And they're very much mutually dependent on each other in a lot of ways. And Callie wants to understand that. She wants to know exactly what their relationship is built on and and whether it's freely given you know, on the part of these Black women that she believes she loves and her family loves, but then she starts to question, you know, are they here by choice? Do they really want to be here? Did they have any other options? Do they feel trapped by us? So she starts looking into all those different relationships that her family is built on and trying to understand, you know, what's what's true and what's real and what what respect you know she wants to show to these women she wants she feels that she owes it to them to understand what they really feel and what they really want and not just what her family needs from them and memory and perception seem to be important themes mm-hmm. how do these themes contribute to the suspense and complexity of this story um there is a midwestern transplant named Solomon Beckett, who moves, buys a small farm in the area. And he's older than Callie. And he actually talks to her like an adult, you know, and asks her opinion and doesn't really have any expectations of what she should be or what she can say or, you know, and she's intrigued by that. Um, And I think because he's older and more mature, he's more suited to her, you know, than some of her younger suitors that just bore her to death. And so um, she's she's drawn to him and she's, um, you know, she, but she wants to know what Hepsi thinks of him. You know, do you think he's a good man? And Hepsi says, well, it's not really my opinion that counts. And so, um, so anyway, she kind of learns a lot about herself and her family through him because he's not a Southerner and he does not have a good relationship with his own family. And he becomes friends with Callie's family and he sees how they're just all up in each other's lives and it's foreign to him. You know, he just doesn't get, you know, why do you want to be all entangled with this extended family? So there's a little push pull there where he's trying to understand, you know, why she doesn't just break free and do what she wants to. And she is trying to help him understand that family's more than that. You know, that it's not just an entanglement, that she really does love these people 
and they really do love her, even though they're at odds sometimes. So the two of them kind of go back and forth on, on family. And then I was a big fan of Eudora Welty, and I actually did my master's thesis on some of her books and how she looks at the difference between collective and individual memory, like how a family as a group remembers one way, but then the individuals remember a different way. And I tried to get into that a little. So now I'm super curious to know what is going on. I'm terrible at explaining my books. I know that I really am because I can never just answer what's it about. I just, that's the hardest question in the world for me. Um, but I, I like looking at those complex family relationships and how, you know, you'll, as the story unfolds, you'll find out some keys to their relationship that maybe you didn't know in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when you learn that, it helps you understand some things you've already seen. So, and, and I think families are very complicated. I mean, I mentioned Welty and she, she said in one interview or another, and I'm of course probably misquoting it terribly, but the gist of it was that you can find, you know, anything worth writing about love, hate, compassion, jealousy, you know, whatever you can find all of that in the family. I really believe that. So my books are all about families and communities and ordinary people, but who were tasked with something. Maybe, you know, they're wrestling with something. They're, they're trying to come to grips with some, some conflict or some contradictions in their world, but they're very much ordinary people. And that's what fascinates me as a writer. Yes, for sure, because there are, there are so many stories that we can get from our neighbors. Just <laughs> yes. family yes. going for a walk and we see something. It's, true. it's very true. Yeah. And it's, whenever I would tell my, uh, my, my husband did not grow up in a storytelling family. He's from St. Louis. And, um, you know, they were very active. So the first time he, we, when we were dating and he would go to family things with me, he'd go, well, shouldn't we take some yard games? And I'm like, no, because we're going to talk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going to eat and talk. We aren't going to do anything else. <laughs> so he had to get used to that. And what impact do you hope to make through your stories? I always say, I'm never quite sure if I'm a, Christian writer who happens to be Southern or a Southern writer who happens to be Christian. It's a little bit of, of both, but I, I realized early on when I started writing that I wanted to, you know, I didn't set out to be a Christian writer, but it made sense once I wrote my first manuscript, because I'm very interested in the kind of communities that are faith centered because I think that sets up a lot of conflict, you know, people are struggling to do the right thing and aren't sure what that is. Um, And so I just really wanted to sort of tell by showing, you know, I didn't ever want to really preach through my books, but I wanted to just sort of say, here this is, you know, here are these people and how they are living and how they're showing compassion and struggling to understand each other. So For me, it was about showing it that way. And even though I didn't really have any kind of agenda when I first started doing novels, as I got into it, I realized that I really wanted to show Christians and Southerners the way that I know them to be, because we are often so misrepresented 
you know, if you see Christians in the movies or whatever, we're either fanatics or we're, you know, charlatans out to fleece the flock or we're, you know, and Southerners, we're always dumb or we're comic relief or whatever. And I just wanted to show these people the way that I know them to be, um, which is complex, you know, and and striving. And, you know, so I just wanted to just show these lives in the situations that I had created for them um, and let people see that, you know, it's like um, I always say I, I wrote for Southern Living Magazine for years and years and their philosophy was always lead by example. It wasn't, you know, you don't tell people you ought to be doing this. You just show them something done well. And when they see it, they'll go, oh, you know, maybe I should try that. Um, and it's kind of the same, you know, with my books. I'm just sort of showing, you know, it's, it's the, the lives of these people and letting readers make something of it, if that makes any sense. Thank you. <laughs> you explained very well. <laughs> Thank you. And as an accomplished writer, what, in your opinion, are the key elements of qualities that make a story truly captivating and memorable? Well, I tend to, I tend to lead with place. I start with a place and a time. Those are pretty uh, close together where I want to take readers you know, whether it's Alabama during the 1960s or Louisiana Bayou right after World War II or, you know, whatever that is, um, that's what I start with. And I think that has a lot to do with making, for me anyway, for making my stories authentic because they're always going to be set someplace I know, someplace I've either been or I know it vicariously through my family or somebody else. Um, that's just me. That's just how I like to do it. But character and everything kind of grows out of that. You know, once you know where you're going, you know who would live there, maybe. And the story kind of hinges on, on all of that. I might have like one situation that sparks the whole book. And then I'll, I'll go from, from that. But at the end of the day, it's the characters. If you don't care about them, you're not going to remember that book. It doesn't matter, at least for me. I don't care if it's, you know, a page turner, a thriller, whatever. If I don't care anything about the characters, then I'm just, I'm going to put it down halfway through. I have to care whether they make it or not, you know. And um, so those things for me, uh, it's the place and how well it comes to life and characters that you can, relate to and, and root for and care about. I probably get the most criticism for my villains because I don't like to write them. <laughs> and I'm told that they're not fully developed. So I don't like to write villains. I, I don't want to spend any time with them. And I've got to get better at that, I guess. But um, so, yeah, those are the characters I like the least. So I've got to figure out how to do that better so I can stand to be around them long enough to write them well. But they're just not my favorite thing. I'd much rather enjoy characters that I have some some feeling for, you know. And it, it's, it's very hard for me to write the dark side, but I know I have to sometimes. 
Yeah, the problem uh, is that uh, there are many villains and we need <laughs> to have them to oppose <laughs> the character. I've got to get it better. I need to study some great villain writers and see how they do it because I, I'm terrible at it. But that's the one thing I don't like. I don't like to write those characters, but I can make myself. <laughs> and Valerie, would you like to leave a message to our listeners today? Um, I think I would just say um, that I hope you enjoy these stories. I hope I hope that they take you to the South. Uh, if you've never been there, I hope they introduce you to some people and places that you're fascinated by. I hope you don't want them to end. <laughs> uh, that's the greatest compliment for me is when, when readers tell me they were sad when the story ended. I love that. Um, and, and I just hope they add something to your life. I mean, I think that's why anybody probably writes, you know, I, I want you to be enriched by them and for them to bring something to you. So that's about it for me. Beautiful. Thank you. And Valerie, where can readers and our listeners connect with you online to stay updated? I'm on Facebook, just Valerie Frazier Lessie. I used to have a separate books page, but I'm just too old to keep up with two Facebook pages. And a lot of readers were coming to my personal page anyway. So just come on over, Facebook, Valerie Frazier Lessie. I have a website. It's just my name.com. Um, so you can find me there. I'm on Instagram. I've been a little Instagram lazy lately. I'm on Facebook more probably. You can find me at Rebel Books, Baker Publishing Group.com. There we go. Um, or wherever books are sold. Um, so anyway, that you can find me all over the place, but I hope you will connect with me. I'd love to friend you on Facebook and I'm posting a lot of things now about the new book. And um, so just drop by and see me. And for our listeners, Valerie is going to be featured in our magazine, The Relatable Voice, in June. So they Yay. will be able to see you, to see your website, to check your links, and of course, to learn a little bit about you. And Valerie, it was a pleasure to speak with you. I'm so happy that I'm in Alabama and I'm not running away from a hurricane. It's before it got hot. That's the best thing. You're here before it's so hot. <laughs> I came because I Thank want you. to talk with you. <laughs> Thank you for letting me ride along. You know, I wish you success and you are always welcome to the RV. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. 
Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.